माई टेस्ट ए बी सी डी What's going on, people? I'm Luke, and I'm Sid, and we are Lucid. So, bro, our last episode, bro, it blew up, bro. Bro, that fellow is too popular, bro. Unnecessary, unnecessarily popular. He's, he's like every response. He says like one or the other girl only, bro. Yeah, that's also. Rose. It's like unnecessarily. That's why I'm telling you, no, full heartbreak is happening for me here. <laughs> Overly popular he is. Yeah, and bro. But good thing for us in our yeah. podcast. New too, listeners. Uh, too many new listeners came came off and. Uh, Yeah, and then we told also previous podcast uh, that uh, one of the persons that we spoke about in the we'll podcast is going to come as the next guest, and that person is drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> Arjun Gaya. That was a very uh, subtle introduction. <laughs> I will not be able to live up to the standards Anirudh set, but let's so, see, let's see, okay, bro. Standards are first of all low. It's fine. It's like uh, standards for each person is different. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Thanks for making me feel better, bro. <laughs> so, bro, look, like go back to high school, okay? Uh, like eighth, tenth, and all. Uh, What was your favorite subject, bro? Maths. Maths. Uh. Yeah, yours. Computer science, bro. Okay. Oh yeah, bro. Even for me, computer, bro. Yeah. Change, change. Well, I know I can't think of computers anymore because of all the bad shit that happened in computers <laughs> in college and all. So yeah. Anyways, so yeah, like all the loops, patterns, and all of that. No. Too sad, bro. Anyways. Uh, so in our school, in our class, okay. Yeah, like, did you find any person whose favorite subject was history? History, uh, no, no. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Your favorite subject was history, huh? Yeah. Enlighten us. <laughs> Enlighten us. Enlighten in what way, bro? Bro, legend Buddha and all you studied, no history. Enlighten us like that a little bit. How how the hell can you like history? Like first of all, the teacher who gets assigned history, right? Okay. She was really good, by the oh, way, yeah. for us. For, for us, it was very bad. <laughs> I mean, bad in the sense like it looked like you know the person was not really interested in history. <laughs> it's like anyways, okay, I'm gonna teach you history either. Way, so let's get on with it, okay? We were so even we were in that same attitude, so yeah, please tell. Uh, where did you get this uh, enthusiasm for history? history? I don't know. It's just uh, I, there was no incentive for me to you know l- uh, learn about it uh, in the form of school types. It was hmm. more about uh, getting to know more uh, stuff. It was uh, how how do I put this? It was basically like an ancient film with a plot and characters. Oh, oh. oh. like that. Okay, nice. So good, like uh, you, you made sure it's like a storyline. Yes, yes. And ah. then, especially as you, um, you know, start learning about it more and more, and then you get more perspectives and more characters come into the picture. <laughs> it's it sorts of intrigues you more. Mm-hmm. At least that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And then it just, I just went with the flow. So every time, every single test. my teacher expected me to top oh <laughs> and finally in boards i actually ended up topping damn yeah so you you top history like did you top all the subjects or just no no just just social science bro now now i remember you telling you know like there was the other topper who topped all the other subjects but only couldn't top history because of you yeah and who was that <laughs> by the way so who was that it was Where anyone is gonna beep out that part? So oh, <laughs> it's, in <my> <laughs> it's in my head. It's in my head. It's in 
हाँ या सो दैट वॉज समथिंग आई जस्ट पिकड अप फ्रॉम लेट्स ए सेवेंथ एथ वेन दैट टीचर केम इन एंड शी सॉर्ट ऑफ इंस्पायर्ड मी टू एन एक्सटेंट आई वुड से एंड देन बिकॉज आई ऑब्वियसली लाइक बुक्स सो I just ended up going to her asking more and more saying what can I know about this what can I know about this and she was like wow there is some student who actually <laughs> wants to know more so she said okay fine maybe uh, he actually likes it and not just for the sake of it and uh, it just went yeah so i mean does that teacher have any other student now who was like you or uh, No, I I would I would want to go back to school and ask her that, <laughs> but let's see though. <laughs> so what is the teacher's name? Uh, her name was Rashmi. Okay. So yeah. Uh, so her sister used to teach us English. Oh, huh. And she was also amazing, but um, even she, uh, her sister used to ask me. You know, she was uh, she used to be like, why why do you like that subject so much? <laughs> <laughs> Literature. <laughs> we studying shakespeare here and you want to go back uh, thousands of years to know about random shit which happened there back then i'm like yeah shakespeare sucks so <laughs> who the hell cares <laughs> nice, nice. yeah mm. so that was the scene so you were telling about you liking books and all no so mm. in 2019 you started i think mm. reading a lot of books compared yeah. to college time yeah i don't know why the uh-huh. partly cuz i did not have money in college to buy books <laughs> <laughs> and then 2019 i guess all of us started yeah. working uh, starting with our eighth sem internship right then everyone just got started getting money and i was like okay what should i spend this on but yeah i used to read i used to read back then back in college but uh, didn't have time hmm. obviously engineering college yeah sad but uh, so when once i started working i was like okay fine what else to do other than work so i just started picking up everything i ever wanted to read mm-hmm. and then it just went i mean um, it started off as like a book a week and then i ended up doing like some five more during that year right and then the next year i ended up doing like 15 more partly because of the pandemic that is also <laughs> so, wait, there so let's make this clear so yeah. you ended up doing in 2019 yeah like more than 52 books in one year how many exactly i think it was five, yeah right? it so was around 56 57 yeah something like that wow. Damn. yeah bro like i am actually very proud of myself right now today because uh-huh. 2021 i've read six books till now it's oh. like two books a month right good enough it's yes. good enough i'm trying to read six books a year is not happening <laughs> no that also depends on what books you pick up right so how did the how did it happen like how how could you read like that much like so uh, i was always into it but uh, the fact that i started reading books which i wanted to read mm-hmm. okay. so this this was more or less like uh, something i wanted to know about more and then i started uh, researching about it and seeing what all books are there on what topics and what so now 
now my bookshelf has 205 books i guess wow. like last time i checked wow. and i made sure that whatever i buy and everything i bought like, mm-hmm. like yeah so i spent a lot on books so if my mom and dad are hearing this they'll be pretty pissed actually they're not they're, they they're, not, they're not they're not actually they're not you see i mean think about it 200 books okay yeah. 200 rupees It's like how much? 40k. 40k. But some of them were like 1.5. Uh, But okay. Yeah, I mean, average, yeah, on, yeah. On, on an average, let's say like 400, 500 oh, types. Oh, damn. So, so like 60k. 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 
uh, it's not it's very hard to ignore indian history okay. as a whole even i i would say i think there was this one dude um macaulay uh, he was he was supposed to be the guy who devised that education system when oh. he came oh. and he mentioned that a bookshelf of european uh, history or british uh, uh, bookshelf is worth more than the whole entirety of whatever literature we find in india Mm-hmm. they were so cocky enough to say that okay. and i feel just the opposite okay it's just a bookshelf of indian literature indian history or anything related to india which goes way back just supersedes anything else by a mile crazy wow. and i mean i can i can take this guy's opinion quite seriously <laughs> yeah. because of how much reading he has done right yeah i mean it's just that um, what we study is not exactly what is what actually it is mm-hmm. i mean that's partly cuz um, education for blah 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 i, I mean everyone cribs about it right. that, that shit happens but yeah i it's uh, it, what we study is little distorted and kind of biased i would say I, it it is but uh, that's one of the main reasons i picked up these books these the ones which i picked up mostly are the ones which are written in a more or less a subtle non biased or a, or a someone who does not even like encounter these things like he wasn't a part of it and he wrote about it so okay. that that factors in when you're writing right mm-hmm. so some that that is one of the reasons i just picked up all these books So that basically a third side view. Yeah, a third side view that you can say that. So yeah, I mean the, there is one book I think I I recommend that for people uh, who want to know about uh, post-independent India. I mean no are mm. basically our history I uh, stops on August 15th 1947 <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so we don't know about uh, what happens afterwards we don't know about uh, what went through like the first 50 years of independent india so there's this guy uh, ramchandra guha he wrote a book called india after gandhi mm-hmm. so in his foreword he mentions that uh, as uh, you know history factors in and it becomes more or less it uh, overlaps with the current timeline or uh, it overlaps with um, a person who's writing it so that time it's hard for people not to be biased like when you experience something you write it in a more anecdotal way right rather than a more uh, you know uh, yeah factual way so um, so just like a uh, for an example uh, so our parents they mm-hmm. would have experienced the 1975 emergency mm-hmm. but us as um, 90s kids we only know what we know from what people say right so if you ask someone from t- uh, 2000s to write about 75 he would go back and he would je- check up on facts and whatever whatever happened during that period and then he would write about it but if you ask a same person who was born in the 60s to write about that particular event his experiences obviously come into the picture at that point of time that that is where i guess indian what we learn especially indian history is very clouded with little bit judge, judgmental stuff and uh, ideological uh, biases so i mean it's uh, 
we should always take it with a pinch of salt whatever mm-hmm. we read mm-hmm. anyone anything we read i guess we should take it uh, like we should see that okay that person has said this let me go back and think think myself what i would like it was i mean like it uh, it should be it, it should be more or less like a research based thing rather than just uh seeing uh, reading what you are reading and then just taking it at face value so some yeah so uh, i mean think about it uh, this uh, okay so you said that clearly people who who were who had experienced it would write it differently than mm-hmm. what people today would maybe write it so how would people account for these biases like um i mean uh, so what i mean to say is so if you take a uh, today's person okay say you mm-hmm. okay if you are a historian today and if you are writing the history of something that happened thousands of years ago okay you would pick up the data that you have thousands of years ago like as in say books that were written back then or say edicts that were there or so or some inscriptions whatever but we do know that people who wrote it back then would have had their own biases while writing it because like you said Correct. they would have written it with their experiences definitely right? right how would you as a historian you can't just take them as facts and face value right because Correct. then again you are again mistaken so how would you as a historian correct yourself and account for that yeah so i mean what you said is completely true like uh, any archaeological evidence we get is someone would have written it back then so if you take uh, okay the mauryan empire or ashokan edicts Ashoka hired someone to write that. Okay. It's uh, or uh, in the Gupta Empire there is something called as prashastis. So these prashastis was inscribed on uh, stupas and their uh, uh, you know architectural uh, marvels. So these were basically done by court poets who were just praising the king and what he did. Mm-hmm. So we'll never figure out what wrong he did. we'll know what uh, what he did and what uh, what was his achievements right. but his failures will always be you know pushed under the carpet so yeah as you said we shouldn't take whatever was written back then in face value and just like that we should you know uh, i would say as a reader myself i would go for more or less the um uh, not literary sources or something like that more or less the archaeological evidence types like what we found back then okay like as in any anything that was buried like in the indus valley yes, valley yes. if you go back to indus valley it's all these uh, terracotta figurines right. and uh, all those uh, uh, the great bath or whatever we um, mm-hmm. those structures and uh, so so from that we can learn a lot more than you know reading about what was written back then too so these given idea of w- what life was back then it wouldn't just uh, restrict itself to the majority political developments it was more or less like the regular life type so mm-hmm. yeah so if you if if you mentioned indus valley right so indus valley if you actually go and look at the blueprints of the um ancient uh, the excavated sites now you can see that the the 
టౌన్ ప్లానింగ్ అండ్ ది గ్రిడ్ సిస్టమ్ విచ్ దే హ్యాడ్ ఈవెన్ బ్యాంగ్లూర్ డస్ నాట్ హ్యావ్ దట్ నౌ దెట్ వాజ్ ఈవెన్ మోర్ అడ్వాన్స్ దెన్ సో ఇట్ వాజ్ ఇట్ వాజ్ లైక్ దాట్ ఐ మీన్ యూ కెన్ టేక్ దట్ అట్ ఫేస్ వాల్యూ ఐ గెస్ బట్ సంథింగ్ విచ్ వాజ్ రిటర్న్ బై అ కింగ్ ఆర్ బై సమ్వన్ ఎల్స్ so the historian needs to be able to evaluate and uh, you know make good judgment of what he is reading from literary yeah. sources as well as what he gets Discovery. from other yeah yeah i would say that so so just the one last thing yeah, is sure. that uh, the bias of the own person who is evaluating mm. it would would might come into the picture yeah i mean it is possible it right? is this very possible i mean, you can you can see that i mean, uh, our textbooks right they are written by certain people they have their own ideological bias mm-hmm. so they would you know at least whatever they find back then or whatever the research they have done regarding what uh, those ancient periods of time they would try to uh, i wouldn't say twist but at least add their perspective to it mm-hmm. so it's more or less like uh, you uh, you take something what is happening right now and put it ba- back in time correlate it to mm. something that happened back then so i mean yes that happens so you were talking about distortions right like what we are taught in take high school mm. and what you've read through different books so like is there any uh, you know one particular event or you know one particular thing mm-hmm. which was which had like a stark difference between what we were taught and yeah. what you were so <laughs> 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 interesting to know yeah i think uh, there are certain events uh, but yeah keeping all ideological uh, biases mm. aside i can say that uh, there is this book called uh, 16 stormy days okay uh, if anyone gets a chance please do read it it's about the um, first amendment to the constitution oh huh. this happened in 1951 uh, so the first elections or the first lok sabha elections happened in 1952 okay so basically it was the constituent assembly which sat until 1952 they wrote the constitution hmm. they passed it in 1950 as we know and then so what happened was a year later so um when the government at that time wanted to uh, implement certain stuff okay among them was uh, the zamindari abolition act okay so we all know about the zamindars and yeah. how they basically tortured the tenants and farmers and all stuff so the uh, the government at that point of time wanted to do this but here's the catch so uh, in the original draft of the constitution which was in 1950 mm. one of the fundamental rights was the right to property oh okay so uh, how can you abolish zamindari yeah. so what happened was they had to frame a legislation in a way such that it had to be within the constitutional framework mm mm-hmm. because they are the ones who created <laughs> it <laughs> and they could not so they created these the legislation but it was struck down by the uh, bihar uh, court or something bihar high court okay. or uttar pradesh high court I, one of them the united provinces at that time so uh, what happened was when it was struck down 
that time the government didn't know what to do like they were like we can't go and tell people that we can't implement stuff what we promised because what we wrote. what yeah. we wrote is just doing that so that is when the first amendment came into the picture so the first amendment happened in 51 mm-hmm. and then so whatever arguments we have now about uh, freedom of speech freedom of uh, uh, right to property right. everything like that so they added in one single uh, you know like a couple of words okay into the article so what they said was freedom of speech and then they put everything in and then in the end they said un- under reasonable restrictions oh so what the reasonable restrictions are will be is vague it's is, is vague yeah. it's it's determined by the state got it so the state can easily deter, uh, can easily accuse someone of sedition if they want if they feel it is restricting their uh, their right to uh, uh, speech so this happened and the ones who opposed it are the ones who now get accused of stifling it so the ones who opposed the amendment at that point of time mm-hmm. are the ones who now are in government <laughs> and get accused of stifling it so basically yeah. what what is what that is is that one change led to one whole like it's it triggered a chain of events everyone just followed that mm-hmm. they no one bothered to uh, reverse it back mm-hmm. and even ambedkar who was supposed to be the chairman of the drafting committee he was the main person right who uh, formulated the constitution he too did not oppose it at that point of time mm-hmm. so that's something we don't know about and this one book um enlightened me a lot on that fact okay so that was something which was very eye opening to me crazy so you can see like how a small change can cause such huge like i mean the ripples are so far away right far reaching effects because like yeah. i said <laughs> the opposing party <laughs> back then is the one that is yeah uh, being because uh, another thing i saw today uh, right today morning uh, so this is uh, britain basically they had a discussion in their parliament <laughs> saying uh, yeah. india cannot call itself the largest democracy when it's not really allowing the freedom of expression and uh, your thing what you just told right. us now like quite nicely added to that yep. right. mm. but yeah i mean uh, what do you think i mean I, this is going digressing from the topic though Um, do you think whatever is happening today is unconstitutional i mean is it even possible to be unconstitutional um i it's hard to pinpoint on that fact i guess it's very uh, so the constitution itself to be interpreted in a way no one knows how to interpret it right so there again the supreme court itself in that there was this judgment in 1972 it was a case called uh, keshav nanda bharti versus the state of kerala right i have read about this in uh, some oh. iim class bro yes sir. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, what IP, is this ipr something that oh ipr okay ha huh. so what that that led to it was it was basically a continuation of this uh, whole uh, right to property act mm-hmm. so the state at that point of time 
this this Krishna Nanda Bharti dude was some Swami ji or some seer in Kerala, and he inherited like a like a huge uh, like plots of land from the mutt or whatever their uh, religious thing, but the state decided to take it away from him or some something like that happened, and he filed a uh, case in the Supreme Court. It bas- virtually reached the Supreme Court in the end, and then. the supreme court in the end gave a very vague verdict okay so they said that the no amendments can be made to the basic structure of the constitution okay what is basic structure yeah, no one mean? knows oh okay. no <laughs> one knows so even the judges who gave the um judgment even they didn't know what it was basically they said that Amendments to the Constitution cannot violate its basic structure. It's like any other religious text in that way, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, like based on each person. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very hard to pinpoint what is right and what is wrong because even the people who wrote it don't know what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. People who wrote it at that point of time might not have factored into the whatever is happening right now or whatever. Right. So it's it's very like vague. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So okay, we did a lot of civics. So let's come back to history. Both subjects we don't like, but actually, I mean, uh, even though I didn't quite enjoy it in school, right? Right uh-huh. now, when he's talking about all these yeah. things, it's actually pretty darn interesting, man. We just had bad teacher, bro. That's. I <laughs> won't tell out directly like that. School teachers just say, "Oh, simply some slaps you get." We had good teachers only. Just maybe they were not interested. <laughs> so. uh what do you think like you know when we talk about history we always know like rulers as uh, you know like always thinking about wars right like kings yeah, they yeah. do wars and uh, <laughs> any year like you know uh, we just think okay this war happened in this year and stuff right correct yeah but like what do you think about like how the econo- economy and the administrative policies of yeah so that is were? yeah that's one of the main reasons why i got into it mm-hmm. so th- we learn about history basically only as big events like these wars battles assassinations mm-hmm. like these one or two events which happened i mean they are very important they basically uh, um, they drive forward whatever happened in the next 50 100 years but they're not the entire thing right so if you ask anyone now about uh, how do you think the british conquered india mm-hmm. they will go back to Eastern battle of plassey okay, right. okay or uh, the 1857 revolt but no one will actually know about what uh, how they basically uh, asserted their dominance in like the socio economic realm of indian society like because their whole uh, revenue collecting model which mm-hmm. they developed in the end of the uh, 19th century mm-hmm. sorry 18th century my bad so that had like major reper- repercussions like it it basically like asserted their dominance throughout the co- subcontinent okay. so they took over the administration they started collecting revenue in a very haphazard and very um authoritative way and it mainly led to like a very uh, how uh, it mainly led to what uh, the british empire became later okay 
Hmm. So, but it's not just one war. It's not. I mean, that war played a major role, but what happened subsequently also hmm. mattered. Is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, getting back to your questions, yeah, the administrative policies at that point of time was something very unique, right? It's. Uh, we do not understand the intricacies and subtle nuances which existed back in that society like in the medieval society right. so india with what population it has now and what resources and technological advancement which it has now still struggles to you know um, uh, have economic growth but rulers at that point of time you know they had to make do with whatever they had and sustain societies mm-hmm. with whatever they had so i think we instead of um, focusing more on the uh, military uh, aspects of rulers we should also look at the uh, what they did type so for example okay aladdin kilji if anyone anyone right now if i mention aladdin kilji ranveer singh just pops into <laughs> <her>. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> just this mad man eating this horse meat and blood flowing out of his uh, mouth and lusting after some hindu princess something like, like i mean that that film just gave like a very very uh, one sided perspective. perspective of him so him like aladdin kilji at that point of time he introduced certain economic reforms which are instrumental like he introduced price controls and market caps to control inflation back then because wow. he knew that if if prices of basic commodities go above a certain price mm-hmm. he would be he would be like um, vulnerable to attacks so he in his markets he imposed price controls and he controlled inflation massively so that all his subjects could afford whatever basic uh, commodities they needed mm-hmm. i don't think anyone can like uh, like comprehend that fact right now right and speaking of him uh, everyone who has gone to uh, delhi has heard of hoscos mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah now it's like a huge uh, like a very posh place and stuff like that but hoscos was initially developed by kilji as a water reservoir because oh. in in the um, other seasons after monsoon the rivers used to get diverted and delhi used to be deprived of water mm-hmm. and then he needed a way to store water back then so that like it could sustain the city throughout a couple of seasons until the monsoons uh, came back again right. so like just looking at him in like a very one dimensional way is something that uh, we do but we shouldn't is right something yeah. everyone has to understand right now yeah. very very interesting actually whatever you're saying how you know history is being portrayed in our textbooks and yeah never really thought about it this way interesting so um now that we are talking about this right uh, the fact that uh, not not everyone's a villain like not everyone's like truly a villain kind of <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. so um, how how would we uh, so what i'm trying to understand is we take up few major events in history to be able to write it in books or to teach people down okay 
mainly what i understand from this is these events are the ripples that actually like like we spoke about the constitution where you know the right to property and they made one small amendment and even today we are seeing its effects right so something like that only the things that are uh, causing ripples right only those are recorded in history and all the portions between the waves they are not really taken into account but for the ripple to propagate you need the wave definitely yeah that's a nice way to put it though yeah i, I like that analogy it's <laughs> <This is> nice <laughs> so the how would we systematically be able to you know uh, include all of these the entire wave in the equation um it's it's hard to say for a fact that we can teach about everything that happened back then like there was so many stuff which happened back then so i think what we can change in a way is that how we can uh, like learn from what happened back then to what can be uh, implemented right now so if some policy which uh, worked back then for some ruler let's say let's say uh, akbar so okay. Ak- so akbar uh, he he is known as a very like um, secular and uh, great king right i mean he was supposed to be the unifier of the entire uh, um, like nation at that point of time so but no one like still knows about what he did to run his empire mm. so there was his uh, there was one of his policies called as the mansabdari system so what that was there in that was he used the mansabs or the royals or the nobles at that point of time he used to allot them certain pieces of land across his empire and what happened back then was he used to give them complete authority over it and they used to cultivate that land they were responsible for the cultivation the um, the collection of revenue from that land and they had to report it back to the emperor and if anyone defaulted on that they used to get i would say fucked <laughs> yeah so that 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 started this whole system of decentralization of administration right, right. now what we see in india with uh gram panchayats and municipal corporations we took almost 50 years to constitutionalize local governments mm-hmm. it only happened in 1993 mm-hmm. when local governments was actually introduced into the constitution so we can obviously learn from the fact that that worked at that point of time and decentralization of you no know, administration in in the current setup or in the current government setup obviously would reap rewards i i say we should actually uh, you know mirror the past and the present and see how we can um, implement what happened in the past into the present so it's it's hard i get i get that but the way we can make people learn about these subtle things which were th- back there in the past is only through you know uh, giving an analogy of it to into the present so so that people can relate to it better so that Makes people sense. can learn from yeah. the history i mean that's what i mean cliche things uh, but uh, <laughs> thing is uh, we say history repeats itself but it mainly repeats itself because people don't learn from history i can yeah i can i can attest to that <laughs> <laughs> so you talking about how 
uh, what decentralization we could have learned from it right mm-hmm. so like in your like whatever you've read right from different parts of like the history of different parts of the world so what do you think some of the things you know which we can use uh, like some of the administrative policies or economic policies or any trade policies that it's you can repeat or which you don't like no don't want to be repeated oh uh, i can so basically um, okay um, let's say this india back then mm-hmm. was a huge proponent for global trade right yeah he they uh, i mean india as a whole i i mean the indian subcontinent back then not just the country india which is right now that used to contribute almost one fourth of the world's gdp so 25% yeah 25% Shit. so people like used to like die to come to india and trade with and that's how the whole european powers <laughs> came here and they fucked us over but the thing is uh, uh india had like a vast lion's share in uh, global trade mm-hmm. and what we see now is more or less very a uh, protectionist nature across the globe especially w- with the pandemic that hit like last year and it's still continuing and people are tending more towards you know like uh, self sufficiency and atmanirbhar atmanirbhar yes i mean i appreciate his initiative but it's more or less like a morale booster rather than a uh, you know economic initiative i think mm-hmm. there's an like there's it's imperative for any country and any nation in today's um, you know global uh, atmosphere to participate in trade right. and uh, contribute to it india's exports are mm. so abysmal we don't have anything to export basically obviously because the british looted us also but we we haven't developed that capability right we were such a powerhouse in exports back then and now we are just like a you know services sector we will be like yeah you do you invent shit i'll just come and uh, work on whatever <laughs> you invent i mean like that don't throw our jobs in germany bro i mean that is the reality of it i guess what i'm trying to say is that uh, uh, you should you should embrace that whole globalization which was back it was a huge deal back then right even in like 17th 18th century it was a huge deal like people like all these western powers which are so the so called developed countries they developed because of what they got from us correct hmm. and we are still developing yes <laughs> that is the word we use but i feel that it's very misleading cuz with whatever we have we should be able to do more with it so talk about this word where you told protectionist right mm-hmm. so uh, you would have obviously i think you would have read this book you know like 21 lessons to learn from the 21st century oh, by narati yeah. yeah so he talks about one thing where he says in the future mm-hmm. all the uh, like now like the whole world will go back to in terms of kingdoms right like so suppose india india as a nation will again get divided into different kingdoms yeah, man. so what do you, what do you think about this yeah i guess you can say i mean you're seeing that around the world right now it's not even like a joke it's just everyone wants to fend for themselves first it's always us before them and of course when trump came 
he was all america first america <laughs> first I, i mean yeah obviously it's very important you should keep your uh, citizens happy that is one of the four most important uh, aspects of it but i feel that increasing aspect of this would eventually succumb to you know authoritarianism mm-hmm. and well, as you said kingdoms right so that would more or less you know be detrimental to you know humanity as a whole no one can benefit out of it like it, it's you should always uh, i mean trade is always always is not a zero sum game people do get benefited both parties do get benefited if you are going to be like i am just going to sit in my continent like australia is just one continent there and they'll be like i'm just going to sit there and not do anything but i'll just uh, have uh, whatever we have we're just going to run the country on that it's not going to work it's no yeah no no freaking state has everything to you know run run it it's just it's not possible i mean it shouldn't happen but we are going down that path and it's sort of scary right again it's like <clears throat> we've seen a lot of people already be in this path right a lot of countries already were in this path yeah. like with all the authoritarian dictatorships and all yeah i mean it but yeah it does it does look scary right <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> but definitely. okay so one thing is uh, like you said right we have to learn from our past like how joda sorry i'm saying joda <laughs> movie obviously how, obviously yeah, <laughs> uh, like how akbar you know brought in the decentralization uh, thing right so you in particular are quite interested in whatever from whatever we spoken till now it looks like you are very interested in you know uh, in the in the in the fact that we learn something from history and implement it today as policy correct right? and i think that was your answer to the question that i asked you previously how would we carry on the wave in the equation and i think that is your dream as well yeah going forward yes right so <laughs> uh, i just want to like uh, bring that up right now uh, the thing is uh, you want to be i think a policy maker i don't exactly know in what sector i think energy yeah uh, right so um, yeah just tell us like it does this stem from the fact of how much history you know or like from how much you know already is it is it from there yeah i can i guess you can say that i mean social science as a whole impacted me in a very big way i mean it's it was something that i learned on my own right because no one taught us about it after i guess 10th it was something that i picked it up on my own and just read about it and then delve well deep into it and then i realized okay so how can i translate this into something productive and then uh, yeah obviously last year when the whole pandemic hit and we were stuck at home and we still stuck at home but uh, <laughs> uh, the fact that uh, that whole lockdown period that was when i was like okay i should at least you know figure out uh, what how i can do this then i just started you know i went on like a research spree and then i just got to know about this whole prospect of um, policy making and policy analysts so that time i figured out there's a lot of you know scope and the um, the sectors which are involved there is a lot of it like you can you can pick something and you can work on it it's not just like one thing so technology technology sector and technology policy is something which is coming up 
massively like now because of the whole uh, the sway it holds in global geopolitics and stuff so people want to you know regulate uh, the us i'm pretty sure everyone know about huawei and how they were banned from entering the us right, market yeah. it's it all stems from the fact that you're trying to devise certain policies to enhance technological growth as well as to you know utilize it in a very subtle and not um uh detrimental way destructive way so that is how i came up with what i want to do and i thought okay why not use what the scientific background i have to uh, enter into this field and then like so that is when i uh you know stuck to the whole energy and environmental policy and i would say that it all stems from the fact that of course we we are, you guys have talked about treks all the time <laughs> on the podcast and yeah i'm i was i think i was there for almost every single yeah, one of it yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's all stems from that fact right we were we as a person or as like as a group uh, uh, we are some someone who are like close we have this attachment to the environment and we feel that it's our duty to protect it True. and then i think that um there is a lot of scope in um, you know policy making yeah for policy analysts in that way with climate change coming up i mean coming up in the sense it's already gone <laughs> majorly uh, past the you know that mark which threshold. is yeah the threshold which is supposed to be there but yeah i feel that in this world it's need the what resources we have should be utilized in an efficient and a good well mannered way so that if we survive <laughs> that's basically it <laughs> and that is why i said okay why not go for it and hopefully it works out nice bro yeah. so so much about po- policy making right so do you appreciate like any country's policy making right now mm-hmm. and like any country like as you told like we need to learn from our past mistakes right so Correct. any country in its policy making or in its politics has learned from its recent past mm-hmm. hard but okay i guess everyone should understand that politics plays a major role in policy making mm-hmm. it's very very hard without it's it's very is basically the government and the state has the most capacity to implement anything right. period yeah. we can talk about it we can make podcasts we can make uh, uh, we can write research papers we can put our ideas out there ultimately if we can't convince our government to implement it there's no point yeah i mean we we are just a small fraction of people who come up with ideas for them to you know take it forward if they don't it's it's a very very um, you know like <laughs> the ratio is not yeah. uh, good enough for them to be convinced or get affected yeah i mean it's just that uh, we as um, you know c- citizens mm-hmm. should ensure that this whatever good ideas we have gets put out there and the the government or whatever like whoever is in charge back uh, at that time 
should pick it up specific country i wouldn't say any country would fall into that bracket because most of the countries we have now right are mm. are thriving democracies they're all um, states which after a while a certain government goes a certain government comes right. and we always see this they always tend to reverse whatever the previous one has done doesn't matter if it's brilliant doesn't matter if it's absolutely the best decision out there they try to at least you know attack it yeah not fund it yeah or you know at least let it die mm. on its own but no, by not again you know reviving it so it's uh, it's hard it's very hard but mm, yeah i mean it it has to be done we have to figure out a way to do it that's it Right. It's very interesting that you know uh, you want to get into this field because, uh, like you said, right, it's very hard to convince, especially in a country like India where mm-hmm. the demographic is so varied. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to convince all the people of all the different parties to like you know agree upon and uh, get on to the same on the same page. Yep. So the policy. Okay. So one thing is, uh, how would we we both uh, mm-hmm. sit and me? Okay. Mm-hmm. how can we even so because we i i really find this very admirable that you know you want to get into this direction because of what all you've said till now okay because of how one do, one line in a document can do a lot of change right okay. and if you are getting into that i think policy making though it is uh, all of these things i mean there is one day where you'll have to sit down and write a draft document which might or might not get through and when it does get through it can have a lot of impact right how can we both as engineers do anything at all to make an actual impact no first of all i guess all of us regardless of what our profession is should be informed citizens okay so whatever's happening around us we should ensure that our voices are being heard in some way or the other mm-hmm. so we can't just you know turn away from certain things which might might or might not relate to us i mean uh, just an example the recent farm bills right mm-hmm. which came up it it mm, uh, affects and impacts mostly farm households it has no impact on us whatsoever we are no way in connection to it but 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 as citizens we should think about the fact that there is a need to increase farmer income in some mm-hmm. way or the other there like the fact that the agriculture sector employs 40% of the total workforce of the country total workforce Shit. 40% 40% 40%, 40%. and it contributes only 15% to the gdp damn so there are certain people who are who are not finding it um finding work in that sector who are just there who who are not earning enough wages who are not contributing enough so as you know as citizens we should think about them right i mean like it's very um it's very easy for us to say okay maybe uh, that might or might not impact them and the bills which they have gotten right now can or cannot uh, you know increase that but we should we should think about it in a way such that 
okay what exactly can you do to convince them to embrace certain changes which can help them grow better i'm not saying whatever the bill has come in right now it's perfect there are a lot of flaws in it and people should figure out a way to address those flaws and make it better and that's where us as a whole a community as a whole should come together to at least help out like a major chunk of our population i mean like farmers i guess would make up more than half of population easy yeah. easy and if they are not if they're just left in the lurch i i guess there is no point in saying we are growing at 10% gdp <laughs> or 12% 20% still people are still living in poverty they don't have enough uh, uh, basic needs they don't they don't have enough uh, to survive so what is the point of us growing as a country if like you can't help out yeah, farmers i guess it's it should be respo- it should be like our responsibility regardless of who we are what we do to at least engage in these kind of things so right. yeah made me seriously think right now yeah <laughs> i mean i was i was all getting ready you know uh, to like you know counter one something uh-huh. <laughs> like full uh, full sad came on side so uh, honestly though uh, what is your take on the farm bills i mean let's i just want to i just want to go with this discussion <laughs> yes, okay i i feel also that also the fact that you know so much <laughs> that's that's very important that that's what that factors, factors in everything yeah. because see uh, I, i wouldn't care so much about a person's opinion if the person didn't really know so much right i mean uh, definitely to a point to an extent i would listen to them i definitely would listen to any person's opinion but mm-hmm. your opinion i really want to know because of your huge knowledge that like 200 books that are there <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i i feel that this government for we have now is very good at pr i mean their optics is very nice they know what to say when to say it how to say it but they don't they haven't done like a stakeholder mapping as we call it in public policy stakeholder mapping what yeah. does that mean so you need to take into account all the stakeholders who are involved in who are going to be impacted in what you bring in got it okay it it it's from the producers the farmers to the intermediaries whoever are involved in the whole supply chain until the end consumer who might be us or who might be some retailer wholesaler whatever mm-hmm. all these people are going to get off- affected in whatever changes they bring in you need to account for their views also you cannot go ahead and unilaterally declare that this is going to benefit everyone so yeah. you should follow it no one's going to listen to you when you do that no one's going to listen to you people are going to that's why the whole uh, revolt is happening you can't just go out there and say i am doing this you should listen to me this is going to benefit you, you why would they, why would they listen to you you should at least i feel that see the the bills as only the legislation i feel that it's a good thing there is there's definite need for uh, you know liberalizing the agriculture sector from 1991 when the first economic liberalization happened and uh, privatization increased 
and private players started getting into the um, economy more the fact that no one no one had the balls to do this no one had the balls to reform the agriculture sector because it impacts a lot of people right. so no one did it until now like kudos to them for doing it but the way they did it is something debatable and the fact that they passed the bills and like this ruckus in the house and whatever whatever so all that just gets factored in on taking into the only discussion of the bills as per se i feel that it's a very very you know progressive legislation for a country like india it's a very progressive legislation you are trying to include the farmers in like the private sector so you're trying to help them realize that you can sell to anyone and everyone possible you don't have to sell it to like this only this apmc or mandi right. is what they yeah. have right now you you're you have the freedom to do it but like but how are you going to convince them that that is it is not going to impact them is the is this something that they should factor into and they haven't done that honestly i just and i it's like uh, most of the decisions of this government is like the surprise suddenly that's come out they like to they like to play that game i don't know like you yeah, said right? they're very I mean, good with the optics and yeah. you know they this kind of surprise game right kind of like works very well for certain people because it's like oh that's cool it's because the initial attempt right the initial moment it's huh. it looks very awesome the decision because I take demonetization for example. oh god <laughs> what was that like one fine day he just came off on tv at 8 in the evening and he'll be like no no more notes <laughs> whatever <laughs> the hell you want i mean I, i i don't know if you guys remember i mean of course you'll remember this happened like three months back right when we had gone for that balara and adurga trek and we were coming back and then like uh, we got a call from our parents saying there's night curfew imposed oh, from yeah, 9 yeah, today yeah yeah who the hell does that who the hell comes out yeah, at yeah. at 6 in the evening or 5 in the evening and says okay there's going to be a curfew put up in like 3 hours no people are not going to listen to you when you say that people are going to freaking belt the fuck out of you <laughs> that's no, damn stupid yeah it's it's just it's just stupid on their part too but Yeah, I, I guess they should just learn from it. That's it. I think even your de- uh, the demonetization thing, where you mm-hmm. spoke about the stakeholder planning, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, like their thing was to stop corruption, mm-hmm. but they didn't think about the poor people who might not have had <laughs> bank accounts and stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's how I'm pretty sure history will take care of <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of all those decisions <laughs> taken in. Yeah, I mean, I I remember you. Uh, I think a few days back you asked, uh, "How will whatever is happening now viewed right, be nice. viewed as yeah. history in the?" Yeah. Uh, that, like, that was gonna be my next thing. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that. Wait. Let's frame the question correctly so that the people know. So, how would today's so today's uh, present is tomorrow's history? Correct. Right? Yeah. So, how do you think whatever is playing out today? Okay, what will stick as tomorrow's history, and what will not stick, and how can people learn in the future? Yeah, so I guess it all comes on, it all boils down to the fact that how we evolve as society, right? In the next maybe twenty, thirty years, 
it's all going to boil down to that fact i mean uh, so uh, there was this analogy i gave like uh, if if terrorism is eliminated completely and there is nothing there is no threat of terrorist attacks in the next 20 30 years 100 years down the line how many people are going to give a uh, rats ass about isis or al qaeda <laughs> no one is going to there, there is it's just a foregone conclusion by are you listening to that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ISIS is already done, so <laughs> fuck okay, them. Okay, some other, some other. Yeah, I mean, it's just it 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 all just boils down to that fact. And uh, you can also say that there there is this emotional attachment which is involved mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, how 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 I don't think any of our like second generation after us, um, so our grandkids or great grandkids. they going to feel the same way about independence as we do right it's 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 just like a non entity for them is they're going to be born in a complete hopefully a free and democratic society <laughs> then not like no are you yeah yeah so there's going to be they they'll be like okay we got it so long back how is it good how does it even matter to us now correct Like yeah. uh, uh, America, right? I mean, they got it like seventeen, <laughs> what eighteenth century? Right? Yeah, seventeen seventy six for the revolution. And if you ask an American kid now what they think about, see, like that is all just to build up patriotism in right, yeah, in like citizens. But will they actually have like a you know sentimental value or an emotional attachment to it? No, they will not. I mean, it's just. it's all like it's all in the past as they say mm-hmm. and people are just going to you know eventually move on right so i guess uh, maybe like 100 years 200 years down the line whatever's happening now is just going to be judged on how we evolve as society mm-hmm. and how what decisions we take and certain decisions whatever's taken now or certain events which have happened R can be studied in the future, positive or negative, depending on what the situation then. So yeah, I mean, there there is going to be uh, it is going to factor in that time, but how much of a factoring in you can't say. Mm-hmm. So a follow up question on that. Yeah. Going into the future. Mm-hmm. So suppose we Elon Musk succeeds and uh, mm-hmm. we set up colonization in Mars. Yeah, setting wow. up a new administration, <laughs> new government, and stuff. We're going, we're going, we're going into science fiction territory. We're going to call to Steve. Hello. So, uh, what do you think? You know, like a couple of things we shouldn't repeat. You know, something so that <laughs> we don't repeat our mistakes. Um, it. I mean, people are. I mean, if and when. Huh. Colonization of Mars happens. Right. <laughs> I think so Earth. <laughs> I think Earth is dead. <laughs> okay. Just think of Earth to be a non-entity in the solar system. People are not gonna give a fuck about Earth when that happens. I mean, not to be pessimistic, but right. that's humanity's like uh, inherent think? thinking. If you have something. Hmm. If you have like an alternative, 
then why why would you give a fuck about what is there right now so if if mars gets colonized and the people get to know okay there's another planet which will take care of our needs right yeah whatever little resources and uh, we have on earth right now it's it's gone it's it's done it's basically okay let's give this analogy like if if the government or the state tells you tells you that we are going to take care of all your needs after you retire who is going to save no one is going to save what is the incentive for anyone to save that time no one is even if even if you are earning massively and even if you don't have to spend so much you will spend because mm. you'll be like why why anyways everything is going to get taken care of in the future damn mm. i'm just yeah that's what in economy is in economics is something called as a moral hazard because okay. is you don't you don't have the incentive to you know think about uh, the future because you already have an alternative there so mars colonization i hope even if it happens chill bro it'll happen with the elite only first <laughs> that is what i'm trying to say you know it's very hard to you know exclude everyone from uh, you know uh, going there but it will eventually just going to be you know like all these uh, fiction uh, science fiction films you see 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm. and stuff like that it's all going to like be just like the top like like the how they say 1% top of the top 1% yeah. <laughs> it's like 2012 the movie where <laughs> only the elite people who could afford right. get saved yeah shit yeah i forgot about that that was that was a nice movie yeah <laughs> damn crazy damn I mean, I'm enjoying the silence also right now. Yeah, it's like so many thoughts are going so ahead. Thoughts are like processing in my head. <laughs> Damn, interesting, interesting stuff. Damn, lots of nice things you came and told that. Eh? Yeah. Like actually, damn interesting stuff. I mean, as long as people can actually, you know, enjoy uh, listening to this and learning from something, okay. I just, if anyone just takes something from our conversation. it's is like a win win for us and a win win for it's know. like a trade <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's a trade it's, <laughs> it's a, a trade. trade you get your listeners and they get their uh, little in, bit more insight <laughs> insight into stuff so like from our last podcast we started this last segment putting yeah. it in our segment so where mm-hmm. you know all our listeners oh, can yeah. ask questions you guys questions. ask my question <laughs> yes of course yeah, yeah. question that you asked yeah yeah so uh, we put up on instagram asking you know if uh, if you have any questions about history like mm-hmm. specific events uh, you can ask them and we'll ask you now mm-hmm. so like like one person his name is saurabh kushwaha so he asked uh, why ramayana and mahabharat is considered a myth when uh, it's actually a history like is it tending to atheist society um the atheist society is very very uh, you know i wouldn't say it is huh. if india is still a deeply religious, religious uh, <laughs> country and if you if you take a census right now i i think people who identify themselves as atheist and one of our friends does <laughs> 
it'll be less than one percent. I mean, it's just very very small. Regarding the Ramayana and Mahabharata, I guess it's inculcated in the fact that we have learnt it as mythology and not a as religion. history. Yeah, we give like a religious aspect to it. Mahabharata is supposed to have like a like a, it's like a multi-dimensional story. It's like not mm. just good versus evil, right. dharma, this that. There are so many uh, aspects to it, but we have learnt it more in a religious basis, mm-hmm. and I guess that's what factors into it. And the fact that the same text is interpreted in multiple uh, multiple ways across the continent, uh, like. Ramayan, right? Ramayan is so uh, like read in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, but we are taught about how Rama is supposed to be the protagonist and he how he saves uh, Sita. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, but but there are some people uh, who still feel that Ravan is supposed to be the protagonist. Uh-huh. I mean, if you go and ask, maybe in some Sri Lanka, I don't know. Maybe they'll say that Ravana is the protagonist. Right. So is this interpretation in different ways and stuff like that. And I think the main factor is that we do not have any sort of evidence to prove it. Right. We it happened so long back, so long back. It's supposed to have happened so long back. I would <laughs> say that. But uh, we do not have any you know, concrete evidence to. It's know, very hard to find evidence. Almost there's lots. What's up for what came? Yeah, lol. I mean, like uh, we can all. Uh, I think we all get that in our family groups, <laughs> wherein uh, we say that satellite image spotted uh, Ram Sethwe and all that. I mean, it it can be true. I'm not denying the fact that it is not. I think. people should genuinely go and see for themselves and i went to kurukshetra i guess uh, 4 years back 2016 sometime mm-hmm. in 2016 so when you go there you know you might your thoughts might change your perception might change oh. you might say that okay no it could have happened right so until people you know go out there and see for themselves and uh, think you know think about it in a different way that time yeah maybe another thing is uh, not many people are seriously studying or looking for archaeological evidences to find yeah. mahabharata if yeah. if whoever asked this question right go ahead man <laughs> go ahead and go so, find some evidence yeah. and ensure that you know uh, we we see it as history Yeah, you brought up a good point. It's like most of the people they just want facts or information which they can talk to other people, mm-hmm. you know, rather than actually finding a valid a validity for that fact. Yeah, I mean that's that's what WhatsApp for. <laughs> it, it, it gives a sense of uh, you know belonging and a sense of happiness, I guess. Uh, yeah, I know. Is that that is that feel good factor right. people yeah. get? They'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> what <laughs> I if I now. what if I share this and people get influenced by it? <laughs> no, not just that. I mean, it's like you've been reading this as a kid, right? Mahabharata, Ramayana, and and you always told to worship it as gods and stuff, right? And then when you finally find out, no, it's not necessarily gods. It might have happened really. That puts things in a much better yeah, perspective. Correct. So I think I feel that need, okay, of wanting to know if it's real, because that would make it so much more better or so correct. much more interesting to read and learn. Hmm. 
But yeah, I think people should put more, divert more attention <laughs> and effort to like actually find some yeah. evidence for it. Right. I mean, though there, I, I, sometimes I do think that what what if these WhatsApp forwards are true? Yeah. Like you said. <laughs> what and what if you actually go there? Yeah, I, that's very interesting. Yeah, go there and uh, find out. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. No, you go ahead. Ask oh, okay. So uh, another question was from Akshata. So she wants you to talk about uh, the rescue of Indians from Kuwait during the Iran-Iraq war okay. and enlighten the country <laughs> that the Vande Bharat mission wasn't the largest mission as the government advertised. Yeah, I guess. You said no, PR. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that too, the Vande Bharat thing happened during a pandemic. It was, uh, it was just to raise morale of people, right? Huh. Saying, oh, we've got back our own. Uh, I mean, it's the duty of the government to get back their citizens. So it's not a, it's not something great on their part. I, hmm. But yeah, the Kuwait thing. Yes, I don't think many people would have known this if not for Akshay Kumar. Right. So <laughs> well done, Akshay Kumar. Also, <laughs> who is him? Airlift. So airlift uh, again. Airlift is something that uh, like people went in, you know, with a. It released on I guess uh, Republic Day. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one so of those holidays itself. Patriotic. Patriotic. <laughs> <for you. laughs> <Pedriotic, laughs> Two generations somehow they won't have. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean now. Uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was supposed to be the biggest evacuation by a civil airliner mm-hmm. as per Guinness Book of World Record. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, guess who what the civil airliner was? Who? What? Air India. <laughs> <laughs> Defunct, guys. Defunct. <laughs> so Air India, we, we want to privatize Air India now. So maybe in the in future, if uh, Air India has to, you know, evacuate uh, from US, <laughs> it won't be possible. <laughs> I would say maybe like uh, two lakh people from China or something again. Oh no! Dead. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> so yeah. Crazy. Mm. Good question though. Interesting. Mm. So, uh, what? So there was this another question by Akash. So his question is: Do you think? History is biased towards the winning side. Mm-hmm. To that question, I have one more question. We've always heard this that you know every country, mm-hmm. uh, you know they uh, try to filter out history just to you know put itself in the victim side. You know the same event if you read it in India and like suppose you go to England and you read the same event, mm-hmm. it'll be different. It'll be tended towards them, right? So what yeah, do you think about this? Yeah, I mean the, towards the winning side, I think. Yes, it's definitely tended towards the winning side because people who write history hmm. are the winners. Right. They so want think about mark. it. Yeah. So think about it. Like if Ashoka defeated whoever he defeated at that point of time, if who like he's the one who's going to write saying that I defeated this dude. No, the loser, I don't think he would even have the... Uh, he would be thinking about it. No, the, I... Loser would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, they would be dead. Exactly. First of all, they would be dead. Even if they're not dead, they, they wouldn't have that, um, you know, resources to actually talk about it and put it put it mm. out there. True. It, it is always the winners who write about themselves and what they did. Mm. But again, as you move 
towards modern history types so we we see that there are views of uh, different views of uh, uh, like I, I let's say like the british in india right there were there were there are conflicting views of uh, how the british should have progressed in india some uh, felt that the british should have actually you know taken into the factor about india's diverse society and uh, like respected it but some felt that it's that wasn't the case and they were just third world people who should have been dominated oh. so these but we see that both of them are there like the perspectives of both have been there so yeah i, I mean the access to information or, or the methods to write exactly. stories are yeah. much higher today yeah exactly yeah. now if you if if anything happens now i guess there are always two sides like there are two sides to a coin as they say yeah it's like uh, i don't know who punched whom ఇండియా was it as one whole country or was it like multiple regions, regions. okay that's 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 interesting that's a nice one so basically um not who, who asked uh, oh yeah uh, shikhar marthi okay so basically when uh, india um you know like they form they wrote the constitution right the constitution came up in 1950 before that when we just got independence mm-hmm. so we our whole country had been divided it had yeah. been partitioned and people had lost their homelands and it was it was a very uh, you know turbulent time at that point of mm, in that period so uh, and there was uh, i don't know if people know this but sardar patel mm. the first uh, deputy prime minister of india and, and uh, his uh, protege vp menon they were tasked with the uh, art yeah arduous uh, task of uh, unifying the country mm-hmm. where they uh, they had to speak to 565 princely states oh my god 565 princely states and unit unite that into a single entity right it's such a big ask yeah. it's such a big ask i i mean like uh, at that point of time they wanted it to be a single like a single entity a one nation one nation india like, mm. but it wasn't that case right. so people in certain princely states they were they did not feel the uh, freedom struggle as much as people in some mm-hmm. other right, uh, right, right. i guess you could say that for the south of uh, mm-hmm. and like we see why the north is very you know like uh, more nationalistic yeah more nationalistic uh-huh. the south did not have that kind of uh, you know invasions and mm. uh, and even even like when the british came uh, we we were under we were under our own king which like the vodiers like right. the mysore 
or if you say kerala and travancore or hyderabad the nizam all of these guys were like hand in glove with the british they were all like they said okay we will listen to you you give us our autonomy correct so they were they were not much like i mean there were but it wasn't like a big deal it wasn't mm-hmm. such a huge deal so i guess the the cons the people who wrote the constitution wanted it to be one nation but it wasn't mm-hmm. you could now forget about this the linguistic thing comes into the picture like <laughs> it's it still is a big deal now so when the constitution was written mm-hmm. so uh, there was a clause which stated that uh 15 years from 1950 50 until i guess 65 english and hindi would be the official languages of the country okay and after that 15 years ended hindi would be the sole official language okay uh-huh. yeah. what is this this is new to me yeah and people went bad shit crazy like tamilians tel telgaites kannadigas bengalis all of them like they were like uh, who the hell are you to uh, impose this one uh, like one language. language on the whole country i mean like the, the the whole point was that it has to be like one unifying factor but right. it wasn't and um, in 1948 itself one year into the into our independence and our constitution hadn't even like it had just started being Correct, written yeah. there was there was already a telangana movement oh damn then yes in 48 they wanted their own country is it back then no no they state. wanted a separate state oh, okay. for the telga uh, telugu uh, speaking community uh-huh. and there was this guy called potish hiramulu Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he went on a fast like a like fast until death. Damn. And he died. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Fantastic. Yeah, he died. Wow. He died and that it like that also, you know, you know like ignited people's passions. Mhm. And Shit. and that's why Andhra was the first state which was created on a linguistic basis in 1953. Damn. Oh. So Yes, I guess that um, they tried to unite the country, but there were these like hidden fractures among us that we could not. I mean, Goa, Goa until nineteen sixty was still with the Portuguese. Yeah. Like for thirteen years after independence, Portuguese was still fucking around <laughs> Goa there. <laughs> I mean, no one like it's like the country is very diverse. everyone knows that and there are these you know like hidden fractures as i mentioned that threaten you know the unity i wouldn't say threaten now because 70 years past we are united as indians better off better off i guess yes but yeah there are there you can still have like an uh, insurgency somewhere Nan. like the Kalistan movement yeah. mm. the northeast the uh, Kalistan movement I mean, like a uh, kashmir there's even this silent dravidian movement that's happening yeah. Steps, right? mm. yeah i mean like it's uh, 70 years past um, the cons the whoever wrote the constitution would have thought that india would be united one one language one uh, this thing one that thing nothing it's still deeply divided in right. my, yeah caste creed 
religion whatever <laughs> whichever factor you can take it whatever you take language <laughs> everything <laughs> so uh, so akash has one more question so no i think it was shrikar uh, oh shrikar itself sorry so did early humans migrate to america during the ice age or the gondwana period first of all what is that word g yeah gondwana gondwana land i do you don't remember that so that was that before the continental drift everything, everything was, was one, one yeah the pangaea ha 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 and then when it broke away into two two pieces uh-huh. one was the gondwana land and one was something else i forgot I don't that mm, i forgot that's yeah. what the gondwana yeah yeah uh-huh. but uh, yeah i guess i'm pre- i think people would have read sapiens i mean sapiens is like a big deal now <laughs> everyone <laughs> yeah. would read it <laughs> where uh, you uh, you are now i mentions about uh, how the early prehistoric man right mm-hmm. the neanderthals and the homo erectus basically they were found in africa and the current continent of africa and then they migrated all the way to eurasia and uh, that's how these different uh, species came up but the americas i there is no evidence which states that they migrated there mm-hmm. i think uh, maybe you know way past that or something there might have been a few migrations but early man um, the current american continent i i may be wrong i mean yeah. i do not know this properly but mm-hmm. um i do not think that uh, yeah they moved they okay. were found on the american continent so i had a question for you uh, uh-huh. this is like your this thing okay. so what is your favorite history era or like you know history period era era history period in school is favorite period <laughs> <laughs> good one good one <laughs> oh era i uh, it's hard cuz every every like you know century had its own uh, events and uh, own um, you know right. stuff but i would say my favorite um other than india mm-hmm. um cuz obviously i'm a nationalist guys <laughs> <laughs> so sorry for that anyways uh, other than india my uh, favorite um, history like a like a region I would say is the Middle East. Middle East. Yes. Oh. oh. Any like any particular reason? Um because it it is the region which gave birth, birth to religions. Uh, yeah, the three Abrahamic yeah. religions. Okay. And it it is seeped in like uh you know it's not just wars or anything like that. It's more or less the culture mm-hmm. it has propagated. to mm, the current day right is is very very unique and okay. uh, there are so many like you know uh, intricate um, like layers of uh, things we can learn oh. from that region mm-hmm. it's just that it's very uh, clouded in like uh, bias now because, because of the recent yeah events. but it's very very um, unique in its own way and i feel that uh, it's something that i personally really? like love yeah crazy man yeah. 
So I hope all the people who asked their questions, you got your answers. <laughs> I got a lot of my answers. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. I, I think uh, we're gonna be calling him every now and then because uh, this boy, right? He keeps just, reading, bro. He keeps keep reading. reading anyways. First thing. Okay. Second thing, he knows a lot more things, guys. Yeah. Places in Bangalore, he knows. Oh. Okay. <laughs> about movies, he's like the go-to person for TV shows, movies. Okay. About again books. Yeah, he's the man. So. He, It's like layered, very very layered boy. Okay. So, so different different topics. We'll keep calling yeah, him back. Keep calling him. So, uh, yeah. are you ready to come though? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Peace. That was that was a fun so, podcast. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed it. So, Same. Um, Arjun. Uh, any, any last you want to say things uh, want to talk no it was it was really fun i mean i i never felt that it was a podcast as a as a thing because we always end up doing this in our we used to do it in our sleepovers we are old now guys <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean um, it, it was just like a normal conversation and yeah it was really fun yeah That's true. Yeah. So I mean, one thing I just noticed, like as in while we were in this podcast, I realized, okay, huh. we didn't introduce him only properly, bro. Yeah. Like what he is, what he does. Okay, how do we know him? Nothing we don't. It's like the dumb. They are just. So uh, do you want to say that now or just end it next time we'll tell? No, let's give him the introduction. Uh, peace. Wow. <laughs> we'll give him the introduction now, guys. <laughs> So uh, we know Arjun from college. First year uh, of college. First year of college. He was a ladies man. Really, really. Every girl knew him. Oh bullshit! Bullshit! And then we went on that road track trip, a uh, trek. Right. Uh, uh, the Madhuri. There we met him. He's like, okay, finally. <laughs> No, that I met Shreyans. Yeah, oh. there I met Shreyans. Yeah, we oh. knew him. Yeah. What do you say? Oh yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was uh, yeah since college we know. Right. Now uh, our boy is like working in uh, Cisco. Cisco. Uh, some amazing engineer he is. It seems. Now I'm gonna quit, guys. Yeah. Fuck that <laughs> shit. <laughs> gonna quit. Uh, wait, let some people in your office listen to this one. Uh. No, so uh, he's gonna do his uh, UPSC and gonna do some uh, great things after that and become a policymaker, write some document, or make some ripples in the world. Changes. <laughs> wow! Wow! Play, play changes by new back in the background. <laughs> nice. Okay, I'll say that. Lose it. Yeah. Was a great podcast. So uh, thank you, thank you, Arjun, thank you, Arjun. for being a part of this. End it up, bro. Yes, bro. All right, guys. I'm Lou. And I'm Sid. We are Lou Sid.